My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a boy. And this is Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is an episode of television, a great episode of television, or a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode or wait until the end where we will explain them again. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any kind to burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. That's burnnoticed with a D. Absolutely no criticism. What you're going to want to do, because I think our audience is going to have a lot of feelings about this week's episode. I've This week's episode of our podcast specifically? Of our podcast specifically. Not of the Burn Notice episode? Not of, no, who cares? Actually, we'll talk about the Burn Notice episode. I'm just <laughs> no, saying like... That is what we're doing. <laughs> I'm just saying that there's a lot of things about what we'll probably end up talking about this week that could alienate our audience. So if you feel alienated... Go donate to a protester's bails fund and shut up. Exactly. And also, <laughs> if you don't think trans women are women, fuck you. Yeah, so let's 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 spend at least like 30 seconds on that. Um, or longer. This, is, this, this one's on you. Uh, but I want to make it very clear that I know we do a lot of flippant things in our intros. Um, I think I used to be an egg at one point for a previous episode. I, uh, but, I used to be an egg. Uh, we all, we all did. It's truly the human experience. It's what bonds us. We all used to be an egg. <laughs> we are all eggs. We are all eggs. All, all, all eggs matter. Oh my god. (laughs) But yeah, um, no, this is real. Hopefully people will know by the time that this episode has aired or, you know, come out or the thing that podcasts do, I will be, like, out publicly. Um, I will have distributed a lot of literature on the subject of my womanhood. A lot of literature. A lot of literature. And so hopefully people... Listening to this episode, at least in the moment of its airing, are not that surprised. But if you do not follow us on Twitter or anything like that and are just finding out, hello, hi, I'm a trans woman, have been the whole time, didn't know it for a while, now I know it, and now I'm telling people. So that's where we are with that. Yep. So uh, this is now officially... Uh, for the first time, except for it's not the first time, it's always been this way, an all-girls podcast, no yes. boys allowed. No boys allowed in our pew-pew-pow-pow gun explosion podcast. Yes. This um, is burn, common noticed. No boys allowed. No boys allowed. Um, and anyway, that's one of the reasons why I could see people being put off by this episode. Um, it's not the only reason, though. No, so let's let's then put some context into that. So we are recording this episode on May 31st, 2020. Um, this is a week in history that will probably have a lot written about it. A lot is currently being written about it. Uh, there are a lot of 
widespread protests of um, police brutality and of the deaths of a number of people recently. And it is police brutality has not ended. Uh, it's gotten worse at protests. Chris and I both live in major cities very close to where a lot of the hubs are just a couple of, of blocks away from my apartment police cars were attempting to uh run over protesters there are multiple videos within a couple of blocks of me where uh police cars are like ramming into protesters and attempting to run them down um and i think that chris and i share the opinion that um Black Lives Matter, we must defund the police, we must demilitarize the police, and that is the official statement of burn, comma, notice, no boys allowed. Exactly. Also, no cops allowed. No cops allowed. <laughs> no boys, no cops. No boys, no cops allowed on Just burn, girls. comma, notice, the podcast. Um, I, yes, not only were the protests very near me, um, we were at one for a while that was peaceful, and then... Um, we had to leave, and then very quickly after that, uh, the police arrived, and it was not peaceful anymore, and that was 100% the police's fault. The mm-hmm. police instigated that, and we're all really angry about it. And that's going to bleed into this episode and next week's episode, because, of course, as you know, we record them in pairs. Yeah, we record them in pairs, and we record them many, many weeks ahead of time. This exactly. So who knows about... what world you're living in right now? Mm-hmm. This is a dispatch from the past. But yeah, I want to know what world we were living in 10 years ago. So what's this episode about, Bree? Well, this is episode 15 of season three. It's called Good Intentions. Uh, it aired February 25th, 2010. And was written by Rashad Razani and directed by Denny Gordon, who we've seen before and who we'll see again through 2013. So she was a pretty common director um, mm. of Burn Notice. Uh, if, if you'll remember, Denny Gordon is uh, also a lady. Hashtag That's no right. boys allowed on Burn, comma, noticed. Exactly. I will say, so anytime that there is a director that I take special note of, like if it's a Tim Matheson episode or a Matt Nixon, like anytime there's a director that like, I know, like, I pay attention a little bit more because unless something is, like, egregious at this stage of Burn Notice, I don't really pay attention to, like, the editing or directing choices. Um, but anytime Denny Gordon directs, I always want to pay attention because it's it's pretty rare that women get to direct action things. Certainly more than one episode of an action thing. Yeah. Um, and I got to say, this episode had a lot of very melodramatic push-ins. Uh, for those of yeah. you who aren't familiar with This episode with had a lot of melodrama full stop. Uh, yes, it did. Uh, but just, just push in, if you're not familiar with the term, is pretty much what it sounds like. It's like when the camera kind of glides closer to someone as like a realization dawns on them or as they make a dramatic speech. And there were a lot of those this episode. Like there was one on Fee early on in the episode and I was like, this feels way too much. <laughs> Like, this is, it's too much. I did not, I get it. She's, this like, is, angry. Yeah, I remember, I think, the last time she rec- she uh, directed one, being very much liking the direction. I yeah, didn't... me too. Yeah, there was there was the one where there was a lot of, like, long shots, uh, like, tracking shots and, like, interesting camera moves and transitions. This one, I was not overly impressed by the directing. 
But it was also yeah. a pretty chock full episode, so I imagine, uh, and as we know officially from Michael Horowitz, uh, they frequently shot with not a lot of time to do yeah. all of the stunts. Yeah, and a this lot is of a very stunt. Yeah. There's a lot of stunts in the next two episodes, so I can imagine that stylistically they didn't have a lot of stuff, like, time to play. Yeah. Do you want to know what this episode is about? I would love to know what this episode is about. I haven't seen it. Well, we'll get to that in a second, but the IMDb description of this episode tells us that uh, Michael's job for Gilroy approaches its conclusion, but he is temporarily sidetracked as he is forced to come to the rescue of Fee, who may be in over her head as she takes a job for a violent kidnapper. Yeah. I will say about this episode, two things. Maybe three things. (laughs) One, I like this episode quite a bit. I did too. It was very fun. Um, Was there a client? I don't remember there being a client, but I, I mean, no one. I don't think that. there was ever. But that leads into my yeah. second point, which is okay. that this did not feel like a burn notice episode. Yeah, it very much did feel like a, a episode of just like a show about spies. But it didn't. Yeah, it, did, it certainly didn't feel like a burn notice episode. It, honestly, it felt like Fiona was the protagonist, exactly or at the it, very least was a shared protagonist with Michael. Yeah, this was the most fee episode that we've had. The third thing, which I made a point of, like, asking you to note when you went into watching this episode, because I watched it before you did, is that the dialogue in this episode is wild. <laughs> like, no one in this episode can just say something. No, that I so I didn't pay much attention to necessarily the dialogue itself, but there were a few moments of delivery that I was like, what's happening here, guys? Which I Where think did this break down? <laughs> Is like because that the show tends to be like there's occasionally like a joke or something, but like everything on the show dialogue wise tends to be really straightforward and like plot focused. And even when it's character focused, mm-hmm. it's a lot of like characters saying their emotions and like saying the plot right. at you um, in very direct ways. Whereas everyone in this episode has like a little aside or a little metaphor or like something. Um, everyone's speaking in like figurative language and allusions and things. And it's odd. I kind of like it, but again, it doesn't feel like burn notice. And it's weird that this is like a pretty regular burn notice writer that right. I have not noticed this before. And I don't know if it's just specifically this thing. And I I think part of it's just like this plot. And the thing that I texted you was that it really felt like Burn Notice was trying to get its Tarantino on. So break that down for me, because I am not as familiar with Tarantino's filmography because I find Quentin Tarantino to be just so exhausting. (laughs) So I am not as familiar with what it means to Tarantino something up. I mean, like, A, this feels more like a crime show. Um, Sure. But also, B, that, like, that's the thing that, like, Tarantino is very much known for. It's very much known for, like, dialogue. Um, and it's, like, you know, all about, like, very dangerous men saying very silly things. You know, <laughs> having weird conversations about, like, what they call a quarter pounder with cheese in Paris. You know, that kind of thing. And I just felt like there was a lot of it. Too much of it for me to even make notes on all of it because it just felt constant. But we'll see what I remember as we go through, as we get in to the weeds. The weeds. 
So we start off with Michael at like a deserted dock or boat storage place. I'm not 100% sure where he is. You know where boats live? Yeah, but not on the water. When they're not in the water. Yeah. This is a dry boat storage, but it's near the water because we are in Miami after all. This is a boat graveyard, Um, maybe. (laughs) Perhaps. Although it's very like orderly and like the boats are because I would imagine to be like a As opposed to all those messy graveyards? Graveyard. Well, I I more meant like the boats are above ground. It's like a boat mausoleum. Yeah, I could see like a boat graveyard being more like an elephant graveyard. (laughs) Yeah, just like scattered remains everywhere. The skeletons of boats. Yeah, fucking hyenas wandering. (laughs) Anyways, that's where Michael is. Uh, He's going to meet up with Gilroy and Sam is nearby uh, as like a sniper lookout boy to kind of just watch his back. Um, And there's, there's a spy tip about how if you're going to like a very remote place, shenanigans may be afoot, so you better bring back up. Uh, then shenanigans are afoot because Gilroy drives up and is like, thanks for meeting me here, get in the car. And in his ear, Sam's like, do not get in the car, Michael. I cannot follow you. I am a sniper here. And Michael's like, all right, Gilroy, I'll get in the car. And Sam and, is very upset about this. Yeah, Sam at one point in this scene talks about like people with forked tongues and people with hair on their palms. I was not paying that close attention. Apparently, I'm glad that you've taken notes on. But the again, I like. Because... I started taking notes in the beginning, but it was so much that I was like, "Bree needs to take notes." <laughs> I mean, I took notes, but like on like the plot stuff. I'm not in this for the art. Anyway, yeah. So there's just like a lot of shit like that. Sam was just like, it's so like figurative. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it it was a lot. So Sam's upset that Michael has gone off, but like, what's Michael going to do? Say no. We have to talk in this boat. He also, I don't remember if it was in this scene. No, I think it was a little bit later where um, Sam talks about getting in a car with Jack the Ripper. Yeah, something like that. He he calls him some other kind of name too. And Mm. Gilroy gets the lower third treatment with some side joke. Exactly. I don't remember what it was, but it doesn't matter. Like Gilroy's had like eight lower thirds at this point. It's just like variations on like, you know, psychopath. Exactly. Like, deranged psychopath, you know, fancy British psychopath, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So um, the, fancy British, the fancy British psychopath Gilroy drives Michael to a heavily guarded compound for some people called the Knights of the Resistance with a Confederate flag in the window and a target practice gun range in the backyard, which feels a little on the nose in 2020 as I hear fireworks just outside my window of people apparently uh, resuming their protest. Um, And I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, no, I was afraid (laughs) that this was going to be the whole episode. Me too. And I was Uh, like, I I can't sit through that. I cannot sit through a whole episode about white supremacists, even if we're like beating up white supremacists. It was just yeah. like spoiler alert. It's just the cold open. It's, it's just, just the like cold a, open. It, it, it's and it's honestly kind of a bizarre like why choose this as a cold open, but you know they did it, so why not? Um, yeah. So Gilroy describes the Knights of the Resistance, who we all know exactly who they are, but he describes them as right wing separatists. And Michael Weston, absolutely no hesitation, says white supremacists. Can I say no though, hesitation for Michael Weston? I am kind of hoping that eventually, and maybe when this episode is out that more quarantines have been lifted because I really want to go to Disney and ride the Knights of the Resistance Star Wars ride. Because <laughs> I've heard it's great. 
And I just, I just really appreciated that, like, even the show didn't just go with the sort of like, oh, okay, right wing separatists, got it, got it. Like, they're not treating them like they're this nuanced thing. Michael Wesson's like, oh, so they're white supremacists. And I appreciated that they didn't like pitter patter around that. Um, and even Gilroy responds, potato, potato, which is dismissive for him, but it also acknowledges, yes. All right-wing separatists are white supremacists. They are the same thing. The show has taken a stand on that. And I kind of appreciated that. Because I thing. think that we need, we need more media that's we just need saying, more like, media. this is what they are. I feel like that was so much more obvious in 2010. Before white supremacists were emboldened, it was just more easy to be like, well, yeah, obviously white supremacists are bad. And, like, right-wing terrorists are just white supremacists. And, like, that's... And that the Venn diagram is a circle. But, like, now... Because certain people emboldening them, um, it feels like slightly more radical to say a thing that even just 10 years ago was obvious. So Gilroy basically is at this white supremacist compound, not because it is the theme of the episode, which I think we both were relieved by, um, but because he wants to buy a very particular heavy duty machine gun from them and that's why michael's here so he sends michael inside with a shiny briefcase full of cash and it turns out these white supremacists aren't salesmen they just want and they're to take not his cops either even cash. though many cops <laughs> are white supremacists uh, want to make sure you. that's in the recording yep noted for the record um so the the white supremacists are basically like thank you for your donation to the cause and so michael wesson says no thank you and beats them up with his briefcase and has some really cool like two-on-one fighting tips and then he runs back to the car a little bit rattled but still with his briefcase and he finds that Gilroy has actually stolen the gun that he had allegedly sent Michael in to buy because he knew that they probably weren't going to sell it to him and Michael was a very good distraction. Uh, I liked this a lot. I thought that this was a fun cold open uh, and a concept for Gilroy who's kind of like a bad guy and not giving Michael Weston a lot of information and um, kind of cheeky about it. And I, yeah. I thought that was fun. I'm, no, I'm starting to really Gilroy. come around to Gilroy. Oh, it's just in time for him to go away. Exactly. And once again, this is something that I was going to bring up later in the episode, but like the problem with bad guys that are, that like reappear in multiple episodes that Michael Weston has to work with on burn notice is that they never get interesting until like the last episode. It feels like they're saving all of their interesting stuff for like a single episode. So then it's just like a series of like leading us on for episodes and episodes at a time. And then all of a the sudden they get very interesting and they're act and that like actually plot relevant. And then they are gone. <laughs> and it's like, what is the point? Yeah, of it's, I think it's just an artifact of how this show plots. And honestly, it's very bad because, like, they have a lot of potential. And, like, the guy in next week's episode has very strong, like, Victor vibes from season two. And in both cases, the character is interesting. And there's a lot that could be done with them. But because we basically only see them in one episode and they reveal how they're interesting in that episode, we don't actually have time to do anything with that. Like, right. they have no time to be interesting and affect the plot in interesting ways because, like, they, they, they like, want us to know that people exist, but not how they're special until the very end. But then it's like, well, then you're just wasting my fucking time. <laughs> like, if we're not going to do anything with this information about this person and they're just going to be gone after this episode, then why would I care? Like, it, it reminds me. Uh, here, uh, uh, yet another segment of Brie is watching a different television show while doing a Burn Notice podcast. So I've been rewatching Bones, which was mentioned in the last we, episode. Yeah, we of talked this about podcast. Bones a fair amount 
last week. I don't know how much is going to be left in, but we did talk about Bones a lot. And bones, I was bones, like, bones. I want to rewatch Bones. Bones, Bones, Bones. Yeah. <laughs> they love their Bones. But something that I like about Bones and like Psych and a lot of those sorts of like shows is the best villains in those shows, uh, other than episodes that are bottle episodes, because bottle episodes are, of course, generally the most interesting episodes of procedurals are like they're serial killers so in bones they have a couple of those they have like the grave digger who buries people alive they have um the gormagon who's like a cannibal cult guy and they have a couple of like and in psych obviously he has the yin and yang killers and what i always like about those enemies is that like they get to be legitimately dangerous and not just on a one and done basis. Like they're a specter that casts darkness over the whole show that like occasionally get brought up even in episodes that aren't about their crime in particular. And that makes them feel like a more vibrant part of the story. But in Burn Notice, they don't do that. (laughs) Like, and it's so frustrating because a lot of these characters are really interesting. Like the guy next week, the guy that we're helping Gilroy uh, kidnap, or not kidnap, rescue, I guess, free from prison in this episode, when (laughs) we're unkidnapping this guy, he could be a really interesting character. And we're fucking done with him by next week. And it's like, why are you holding out on us? Give us a little bit of information. Let them be a presence. But like, Burn Notice doesn't seem to have a good sense of like, macro plot structure like we've had very good individual episodes but yeah their their season arcs their mid-season arcs are fucking garbage and i don't know why i don't know why they won't just like let people be interesting from the beginning they won't they can't and won't devote enough time to doing that because the show is so much about the clients or like the case of the week and that stuff the thing about like like, serial killers on, like, Bones or Psych or whatever. Or, like, even, like, on Buffy or something, which is obviously much better at doing this kind of thing. Um, sure. Is that the first episode wherein, like, they introduce one of these villains, it is about that villain. Yes, like, exactly. it is about that villain, and that's what it is. Whereas, like, when they introduce... Like, one of these fucking recurring bad guys on Burn Notice. Like, like Gilroy. Like, yeah. The episode in which they introduce them is also, that's a B-plot. Right. Yeah, like, Gilroy was introduced the episode after Diego got killed. And the only way he's introduced is as Michael is solving a different crime, he keeps going to different places to meet up with Gilroy and keeps getting shot at or having uh, hotel rooms exploded. Exactly. And, And like... The thing is that, like, all of these characters never get to be an A-plot until the end of their time on the show. Yeah, that is a really good way of putting it. And that's, I think, it also feeds into why we were so frustrated that Lucy Lawless died. Not just because, like, that was such a waste of that character, but because, like, that's a good setup episode for a person. Like, to have a character start as a client, become the bad guy, and then escape at the end, that's a fucking perfect beginning of a recurring person. And again, it does not, like, even, like, that's honestly why Larry Sizemore doesn't bother me as much, because at least his introduction was integral to the case of that week. And so when he comes back, I feel like I have a fuller 
fuller formed understanding of him and like where he's at. I don't think they do him well. I don't think he's executed well, but because he is the only recurring person so far that I have any sort of context for in terms of like his point of view, I I think that that's why he appeals to me more than like a Carla, despite the fact and that I love Trisha Helfer or yeah, you know, any of these other sense. motherfuckers. I think my thing with Larry Sizemore is that like when they brought him back again, they felt like they were doing the same story oh yeah and they so, were doing the exact same thing they that so the like episode that we, we did this season should have been the the first episode because the first time larry sizemore is in the episode it's like that dumb guy who's trying to kill his stepmom or something for his yeah. dad's fortune and it's like who gives a shit uh the second yeah fucking larry what's exactly time for him that's right oh um, yeah yeah exactly but um, like but, yeah. but that's what i'm saying it's like despite i can acknowledge that larry sizemore is like a boring character and like is very repetitive in terms of what he does to the plot. But, but at yeah, least I, I get what you're saying. Like, at least we were introduced to him. Truly. We were introduced to him. And none of these and other like, people feel... That's why it was really fun when What's-His-Name came back. Um, Brennan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brennan. Because, like, he was the villain. He was the A-plot of that episode. It's, like, such a simple and obvious thing that they seem to not get. Yeah, it's is very that, confusing. Again, and I think it's their unwillingness to do mythology episodes their absolute unwillingness but here's the thing is that like and i know michael horowitz to an extent told us that like they definitely were getting pressure from the network to be more procedural but like you can be procedural and do mythology like psych is very procedural but still takes time to do that bones is the most procedural the things that we've talked about on this show and still finds time in the same like length of episodes as burn notice to do a lot more interesting things with its characters like yeah. it is not an excuse to say that you were getting pressure to like be more procedural because there is a lot that you can work with in that and we've seen burn notice do it we've exactly. seen great episodes of television from burn notice but like i feel and this is my just assumption that the overarching runner of this show is less interested in that. And so there is only so much that you can pass off to the higher ups. Right. At a certain point is a decision being made to not invest in characters. And it's USA. Characters are supposed to be welcome. I think it's more antagonistic. Like, it's more just like, characters, welcome. <laughs> Here's some fucking so, characters. Um, you, ha- you happy? <laughs> We're only on You're step welcome. three of my outline. We have to move on. We have to move on. Also, a lot of this that I was talking about, I wanted to bring up next week. So you're getting a preview of my finale of season three thoughts, everyone. All right. Uh, anyways, so post cold open, there's a very quick scene between Michael and Gilroy where Michael is like, that gun is too big and it's making me nervous about this job we're going to do together. And then they have this like extended metaphor conversation about um, how... They're, the, Michael is comparing the job that they're doing together that Michael has been waiting episode after episode to learn more about um, to a performance, like a play. And so Michael's like, I can't premiere if I don't know my lines. And Gilroy's like, well, don't worry, sweetheart. We'll do a rehearsal tomorrow so that you'll learn all your cues. And it's it's just like a very, like, unnecessarily flowery conversation. Which is, again, what I'm saying about this whole episode. I feel like all of the dialogue is like this. Uh, Which, again, I don't hate, but it feels weird and unburn notice-y. 
Yeah, definitely. It's it's like there is a type of humor that Bernadus does really well, and this isn't it. This it just feels tonally off. Yeah. Again, I I'm I don't hate it. Again, yeah, we it. both like this episode, but it's like it, there's a lot of weird shit in it that it's like I don't know exactly what we're doing here. I'll allow it because it's fun, but I'm not I'm not convinced. Yeah, it's very off brand um, this week. Extremely off brand, but in a different way than that episode earlier in the season, written by two non burn notice people right. and directed by uh, an un uh, unknown burn notice director. Yeah, it's interesting because it's Rashad Razani who's like considered one of the burn notice writers. Exactly. In press releases even to this day. Um, yeah, it's, it's and maybe it's just a matter of like a lot is happening in this episode, and he's trying to like find places to add some personality in in the middle of all of the stuff happening. But yeah, I don't know. Again, it I think he's, seem... it's just him doing like a weird like Tarantino esque crime episode, just because that's what he wants to do. Like, it feels intentional. Especially because this is the only episode, and I think we talked about this at the top, that, like, so far, we have not identified a client in. Right. Yeah, I know. This is explicitly a crime episode. There are two yeah, separate I don't crimes believe that they we are ever helping with. Identify a client in this episode. Because there isn't one, because this episode is called Good Intentions, and it's about. Michael and Fiona, co-protagonists, <laughs> both getting themselves ensorcelled in crimes that they are attempting to take down from the inside. But even with good intentions, sometimes things go badly. Yeah. I, don't know. I think it's doing an interesting thing. I kind of wish that Bernardo said more of this, but... I know, exactly. I, yeah. It's nice when the, like, A plot, like, thematically parallels the overarching plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Michael heads back to the loft to find Sam doing the dishes anxiously, waiting until Michael reappears. Uh, Sam is very stressed out that Michael just, like, gets into cars with psychopaths all the time, and Sam can't help him. Uh, At one point, he says, getting in the car with Jack the Ripper. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember if I said that earlier, but... (laughs) Yeah, who knows? Um, and so Sam, Michael's like... This Gilroy job is getting a little bit too hot for my taste. We should probably call in the big guns. Um, can you get me a meeting with the FBI? And Sam's like, I don't know. And Michael's like, come on, get me a meeting with the FBI guys. You know, the ones you used to inform on me to in like a very strange tone of voice that also feels tonally off because Michael Weston at no point in the history of burn notice has ever been upset about being ratted on to the FBI. Like I know he says it in all of the opening crawls of this, of this, this show, but like Michael Weston found out about the FBI tale in like episode one and it has never held it against Sam. He's like, I get it. You need to, you know, get your pay, your, your, your money. You need to get your pension. And this is actually really great because I can feed you information to give to them. So I'm in control of it. Like, this is fine. Michael has never been upset about it, but in this scene, it, it may, it, it, the tone of voice implies that like, it's been building up for a while, but we haven't fucking talked about the no. FBI in like over a season. So what is exactly. happening here? I don't think, cause yeah, he's not been informing in a long time. Yeah. Well, he hasn't been informing since season one and we haven't exactly. even seen the FBI guys since like early season two. I think we, we briefly do something similar to what we do in this episode in yeah. like early season two. No, I love these FBI guys. Let it be known. <laughs> I enjoy them so much. I think they're goofy as hell. And I love it when they come back because, like, the show grew beyond them so much. Like, 
uh, they remind me of like the master from season one of Buffy where like a, a, occasionally they'd bring the master back, but like the show was such a different show at that point that like he would seem quaint and they would kind of have more fun with his quaintness. And it kind of feels like the same thing here. Like they're just standing there to be artifacts of like the way that the show was. Yeah. It's very fun there. And we'll, we'll learn their names in the next scene. I've never learned their names. And as soon as we're done with this episode, I will forget them again, but they, they are and but before, before we get to them, uh, Fee walks in as Michael is screaming random things at Sam for no reason. And she's like, Hey, uh, do you guys have some time today? I have a job, but it's going to be super easy. I just need like a little bit of backup. It's for this harmless weasel named Coleman. Don't even worry about it. And Michael's like, sorry, I'm meeting with the FBI. You should ask Sam. And then Fiona goes, Sam, like it's the most outrageous thing in the world. Despite the fact that these two have worked solo on cases together before, um, and it, once again, it feels like we're resetting to season one where like the FBI are being reported to and Fiona hates it and therefore hates Sam, even though we've so far moved past that. But the, the Sam line is underscored by some extremely hard guitar, which transitions us to the next scene. So strange. So, so strange. Not so strange, at least for Burn Notice, is the fact that this extremely hard guitar transitions us to some uh, bikini-clad ladies who are ogled at by Coleman, our harmless weasel that uh, that Fiona is helping out with a job. She needs the money. Not and a so, you know, why not? He's not a client. He is never identified as such. We kind of forget about him pretty quickly. Um, yeah, that's but true. Coleman refuses to tell Fiona any details. He's like, come on, you know, I can't tell you details until you're like agreed to the job. And Fiona's like, all right, well then pay me double. And then they haggle for a little bit. Sam is referred to as the help. It's Which one of those things where we always love this. We love it when Fiona is is like the in charge one and Michael and or Sam have to like pretend to be her assistants. Cause like, let's be real. They are her assistants. Fiona yeah. is in charge. And this is the first episode that is... Fiona centric in a way that's not just like Fiona is uh, ensorcelled in the plot of the week in a particular way, but in like, this is Fiona's week. She's yeah, like, no. this is her plot. She is effectively the protagonist or at least She's co-protagonist. 100% like the protagonist of the A plot of this episode. Like normally it's when Fee has like a job, fun. it's always like Michael becomes like integral to the job and it becomes Michael's job. That never happens. This yeah, I don't even think Michael meets the guy in Fee's job until the very, no. very end. Yeah, because usually right. what happens is, like, Fiona either gets over in over her head or needs to bring in an additional person. And then, like, Michael, like, does a little alias thing and becomes a part of the job. But in this case, neither, like, Sam actually is more involved in Fee's job than Michael is. Michael is just, like, the assistant on call to, like, help out when he can. It's, I yeah. love it. No, it's, Michael it's is there as, to do the, the Fee It's the world parts. as it should be. Mm -hmm. No, for real. Speaking of the C-plot, uh, we cut to a very brief meeting of Michael talking to our favorite bad actor FBI guys from season one, whose names are apparently Agent Lane and Harris. Um, they are unconvinced by what information Michael is able to like give them about Gilroy. And they're like, this is nothing. Bye. And Michael's like, well, okay then. And we never hear from them again. <laughs> There's, they are in this one scene acting like chuckleheads, and then they leave, and that's it. So, cool scene, I, love I guess. I chuckle fox. <laughs> we then move to a scene that is 
bizarrely at Madeline's house for some reason, despite the fact that Madeline never appears on screen. And in fact, you I would say- You think this is so much weirder than I do. I do. I, I've convinced myself in my own headcanon that Madeline was in this scene. They just cut her out for time. But like, Madeline doesn't need to be in this episode at all. It's one of those episodes where it's like, shit, we're coming up to the end of the season and Sharon Glass hasn't gotten the episodes that we promised her in her contract. We've got to throw her in here. And her the scenes that she is in, she's in two scenes in the entire episode, one midway through and one at the very end. And she's excellent in both of them. Oh, yeah, she's she is, great. She, is, she has absolutely no bearing on the plot. It is completely unclear why Madeline is here. But for some reason, Sam and Fiona default to just hanging out at Madeline's house without Madeline even being there. Again, I think she's around, A. And B, like, Sam lives next door. So then go to Sam's house. Or go to Fee's house. Well, they can't go to Sam's house because doesn't Miss Reynolds live there? How much does Miss Reynolds know? They can't be, like, putting together, like, bombs or what, and bugs and shit at, like, fucking Miss Reynolds' place. Like the other reason that I think that it probably Madeline was in this scene and they cut it out for time is because this scene is so short. Basically, Sam and Fiona are like briefly discussing the Coleman job. Sam takes Fiona's phone and puts a bug in it and hands it back to her like you two idiots, you and Michael are constantly running off in places I can't help you with. So I will be damned if you go in without me being able to hear what's happening. And Fiona's like, okay. And then the scene is over. It's like, it's so fast. It's like a 30 second scene. So I assume Madeline was probably in there doing like an intro or an outro joke, but they just cut it out for time. That is what I am going to assume happened because otherwise this scene is so short. It's like whiplash essentially. Yeah. She is about to walk in with peanut butter sandwiches. Exactly. Um, um, so then Fiona, with her new bugged phone, goes to meet up with Coleman outside of a very big house alone, who uh, is holding the second half of her money because it was one of those deals where it's like you get half up front and half when you commit yeah, and finish the job. Exactly. Coleman is a real skeezy fuck, too. And again, like cannot just say what he means. It's so much like double talk and stuff. He is actually one of the reasons that I really feel like they wanted to do a Tarantino vibe because he feels like he's just out of Reservoir Dogs or something. <laughs> He, he's got, like, big snitch energy. Yeah, he's got huge snitch energy. You're right. <laughs> so speaking of, um, Coleman, as they walk up to this house, reveals that it's not actually his job that Fiona is helping with, like she assumed. He's actually more of a middleman. And uh, not for nothing, but he padded their professional collaboration resume a bit to the actual boss. But don't worry, it's not going to come up. I just said some stuff to, like, you know, give him some reason to trust you. So, like, don't even worry about it. Like, you, your your actual work speaks for itself. It's going to be fine. Sam does not like this one bit and once again advises one of his idiot protagonist friends not to go into a place where he can't get to them. But Fiona, like Michael, is a loose cannon and heads inside the house anyways. As she walks in, she notices a room with a padlock on the outside. This will become important later obviously so inside the house fiona meets gabriel the boss who is from argentina who immediately brings up the fake background coleman apparently provided luckily fiona has basic knowledge of spain and gets past the first inquiry it was like a he tries to catch her in because the 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 thing that coleman has told him for some reason maybe just because coleman is an idiot maybe because he seems like a particular job is important like, for whatever reason, Coleman felt that it was necessary to tell Gabriel that Fiona and Coleman once worked a job in Madrid 
in 2006 together. And so the first stage of Gabriel testing if he can trust Fiona, which is like the theme of the episode, Gabriel not trusting and wanting to trust Fiona, is he like asks her how much she loved the the Rambla in Madrid. But that's in Barcelona, as everyone knows. And so Fiona's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I was in Madrid. La Rambla's in Barcelona. And Gabriel's like, cool, you've passed the first test. Second test. The Rambla. (laughs) Second test. Give me your passport. You know, like crime people bring their passports to job interviews. What the fuck? Yeah, no, it's wild. Part of me wonders if, like, what he would have said if she had been like, yeah, here's my passport. Because that's wild. It would have been wild if she had her passport. Like, it would have been more suspicious if she had her passport. I feel like that... Having a passport. I don't feel like that at all is what the show is doing. Could have been a failure of a test. I don't know. I like this guy. I like his paranoidness. And like, so so I kind of buy it. Like, it makes sense. Like, he seems like a guy who's never, he's not like a rational guy. Like, none of the choices that he makes in the episode feel like rational choices. It's true. Yeah, he's, he's a, he, I just called Fiona and Michael loose cannons. Gabriel is a loose cannon. Yeah. He is such a drama queen. At every turn, he is the biggest drama queen about everything. Uh, And we will get into some of the more prominent moments of drama queen-ness. But the other thing that I want to say about the passport nonsense is, like, she's also a crime girl. And, like, they're not trying to pass her off as, like, a a goody two-shoes. No, she's not, like, respectable. She's She's a a crime girl. girl. Exactly. She's a crime girl. Girl who does crimes. And... uh, I cannot imagine that every city she's ever been to, she's been to legally. Like, I guarantee she's been around Europe a couple of times, having not getting any stamps in her passport. So, like, the idea that this passport, A, would be here (laughs) during this meeting, and B, would, like, necessarily have all of the places that she's claimed to have been in her life are both so erroneous to me that I'm like, why, what does this even prove? It proves nothing. But I mean, um, it may not apparently just, it's it not means like a, a lot to proving him. thing as much as it's like a screening thing. Yeah, there's lots of reasons why she wouldn't, like it wouldn't be on her passport. But there's no way to know if the reason that she gives is a lie or the truth. If it is true, then like he knows. It's like, so it's not necessarily so a question does. of like, is it reasonable like he can find another person it's all about finding like the right person like it's not fair but like it's kind of like the way that a lot of employers just screen client uh or potential employees it's it's wild is all i will say so basically uh gabriel conveniently exposits if i don't see a stamp in your passport port for Madrid airport in 2006 during this month, I'll know you're lying. So he says this loudly enough that Sam picks it up on the earphone, obviously. So Sam drives off and calls Michael like, Michael, we got to get into this. And Fiona's like, fine, go find my passport at my apartment. It's under a false bottom in this particular drawer. And so Gabriel's like, cool, you hang out here. My goons will go check your fucking passport because that's what we're doing. Also, can you provide a secondary form of ID so we can scan it into our system? That's where we're at now, apparently. So Fiona's chilling. This is an incredible scene. Uh, I love it so much because it's full protagonist Fiona. Michael is called in and gets equal placement to Sam in terms of like them supporting Fee. It's like, you know, Fee has to improvise on the inside and just hope 
that her team supports her well enough exactly, to yeah. be able Michael to continue her Exactly, yeah. Michael goes bit. and does the thing that, like, nine yeah. times out of ten, like, Fee would be doing. Like, normally it would mm-hmm. be, like, Fee running to the apartment and, like, planning the evidence so that Michael's story rings true. But, like, this time, no. It makes the episode feel like her episode in a way that the show is rarely capable of doing. Yeah, it's very fun. So Michael, luckily, in the nick of time, gets her passport all set up because luckily they have all of this stuff on hand and Sam, you know, buys Michael as much time as he can using one of the standard, like, uh, stalled-out car tricks where you just, like, block up a very slim road to prevent bad guys from getting past you. Uh, So it all works out. Coleman sweats all the way through his bad suit, but Fiona's cover is safe for now. Unfortunately, the extremely paranoid background check that they just had to help Fiona pass indicates to them that this isn't just a simple weasel job. This is probably a very complicated and very dangerous job. And this is like a ferret job. Yeah, this is this is at least a a, a medium to advanced ferret job. And um, they are going to have to maybe rethink how involved they are. So the gang all meets up. I can't do this with you. Uh, the gang meets Why up. Why is there Michael's an animal friend. called a nutria when that's clearly an artificial sweetener? I. This is I from my whole, like, idea. woodland creature stand-up bit. Yes. Oh, sorry. Do you, want, do you want me to give you your time for your tight five on woodland creatures? No, I'm good. I can't put the- too much, like, in recording because then I can't do it live anymore. That's true. That's a good call. Um, So uh, Michael tries to talk Fee out of this job, but it turns out she and Sam have done some research and they figured out that uh, this probably has something to do with a scientist that was kidnapped just after Gabriel got into town. So they know a man is kidnapped. He has a family and a little daughter. And uh, we know Fiona's a sucker for kids stuff. So she's like, I'm not going to let this little girl grow up without a father. I'm in this now better for better or worse, and I am going to make sure that he doesn't like do anything too bad. All I need is a little bit of time alone in his house, and I can figure out what's in that padlocked room. Maybe it's the kidnapped guy and we can just get him out. Maybe it's something else, but like there's something in there that I need to see. Let's do this. Yeah. If I've learned anything from popular culture is that it's not a good idea to be a scientist because you get kidnapped all the time. Truly. Yeah, it's it's probably the most dangerous job in the world. Exactly. Is to be a scientist. It's, yeah, much more dangerous than being a police officer. Uh, what happens next? Uh, well, what happens next is Fiona heads back to see Gabriel, but he still won't tell her exactly what this job is about and tests her again by having her uh, take apart and put together a gun in under a minute because apparently... You learn a lot about a person based on how they take apart a weapon. Um, but the wrinkle of this test is that he also sicks his bodyguard bodyguard on her to like attack her like mid gun assembly. So she like casually beats him up from her seated position, does not break a sweat, is the most badass woman in the entire world, and still manages to put the gun back together in her uh, time frame. Gabriel is impressed, but still not very you know trustworthy he's an not extremely paranoid like, guy again there's so many layers that she has to get through i did enjoy this scene whether or not it is warranted based on the actual job she has to do eventually we'll get to but yeah i mean it, it doesn't cool have scene. to be warranted like, like he's like 
it's obviously not warranted. Like, that's his thing. He's just, like, paranoid. I guess. Uh, so outside the house, Sam and Michael are, like, waiting anxiously in the car, like, not sure what's happening inside. Sam is loudly snapping some gum to calm his nerves. Apparently it's an old Navy SEAL trip. And then uh, after Michael has been annoyed with him for a little bit because it is extremely loud gum smacking, Michael's like, do you have another piece? Which is so cute because they're both so scared for her. Exactly. And, like, they just, and, like, want to help. But this also, <laughs> to me, feels like the most Tarantino shit. Yeah, that's fair. It's like, the, and I'm, again, like, fuck Quentin Tarantino, but, like, I like some Quentin Tarantino movies. So, like, I don't say that, like, pure, as a negative necessarily. But, like, yeah, just them, like, sitting out in the car, like, one's chewing gum, all this stuff. This is this is an episode where there's a lot of inside and outside scenes going on at the same time. Yeah, there's a lot of intercutting. This Which week. I like, because it, it keeps it very active, and it, it, like, reminds us that, like, lots of things are going on. Like, it makes it feel like a very layered sequence, and I enjoy that. So back inside, Fiona inquires after Coleman, uh, our, our weasel, and Gabriel alleges that Coleman forced himself on the girl that Fee had replaced, so he's been dismissed. Which is a confusing timeline, because if Fee is replacing someone, but Coleman's the one that got the previous girl to leave with his behavior was it a situation where Gabriel was like that was fucked up find me a replacement and then he quote-unquote dismisses Coleman aka definitely killed him like the timeline doesn't quite make sense and I'm not sure I mean sure maybe it's just that like Coleman is the guy himself. who knows girls maybe Coleman's like, like an agent the... but he's like I decided no it's gonna be fee I don't know but that doesn't even make sense because he's still testing Fee. So clearly he doesn't trust Fee. So like Coleman, if Coleman's the guy that gets the girls, why is it this stage that he has been killed? I don't know. It's very strange, but Coleman is dead. So bye Coleman, yeah. I guess. Bye Coleman. Uh, then the Gabriel and uh, Fiona discuss Fee's backstory and This is also like more. the first instinct that perhaps like Gabriel, while very paranoid, like has some sort of righteousness to him. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Um, so they discuss Fee's backstory a little bit like, hey, why are you, why did, why did a nice girl like you join the IRA? Revenge. Then we cut back outside where Sam and Michael exposit that if Fee's blouse has one button free, then everything's all fine. But if she takes two buttons off and her, her blouse has two buttons unbuttoned, something is wrong. And Sam has a little bit about it. It's like, it seems wrong to think that we're associating a, a, a lower neckline on a woman's clothes with something bad happening. And it's very strange and michael's like whatever go do your thing so yeah no it Sam feels like had... the most like weird tarantino aside ever like it would make much more sense if like fucking like steve buscemi was saying it yeah i that or, i like, that yeah like fucking sam jackson or something yeah it doesn't and, like bruce campbell has a lot of like kind of skeezy lines but like this, this feels off even for him. It's very yeah. strange. Uh, so Sam heads off to go uh, help with the part, the next part of the plan to get Fee alone in the house. Um, and Michael takes a call from Gilroy, who gives him directions to his rehearsal, his, his yeah. Gilroy plan rehearsal. Um, I do like that at this stage of the episode, we're like, you know, about a third of the way through and both of the major plot lines of this week, we don't actually know what the job is in either case. So all of our good guys are sort of like just trying to improvise to stay in the game long enough to figure out what's happening so that they can stop it. Like yeah, they're two all very bad much things are defensive. happening. 
Exactly. And it's very fun. That 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 makes it a more dynamic episode in a lot of ways because like they don't even get like we we've said before that one of our favorite burn notice things is when Michael Weston is forced to improvise, which is why we obviously like like bad breaks so much and things like that. And this very much feels like an episode where all three of them have to improvise. Like they have mm-hmm. to make plans based on like no information and just take it step by step. And that's very fun. I enjoyed that a lot. There's some fun spy stuff later on in this episode. And I think that it, it comes from the fact that they're they're acting defensively. Oh, 100%. Which, is, which puts them off like their game and it makes it a little bit more tense because like nobody has control except for the bad guys. And that's, that's cool. Yeah. So uh, then back inside, Gabriel brings up Claire, Fiona's sister that was killed. That is the reason that Fiona kind of turned to crime girls-ness. Um, and then one of his henchmen comes to call for him to come outside, uh, leaving Fiona a little bit rattled in the house yeah, alone. I like so, this a lot. I mean, her performance is excellent. Yeah. Both Fiona and Madeline have a lot of really good scenes in the next two episodes um, that give them the, that allow them to do some range in ways that they don't ordinarily yeah. get to do. And I enjoyed that a lot. And I like, kind of like the way like Fiona kind of gets to do the thing in this episode. Um, that you get to do a lot in spy shows that doesn't quite happen as much here. Whereas, like, a character gets to lie with the truth. So you get to do this thing where characters kind of get to, like, talk about their backstory and, like, emote about their backstory, but in a way that still feels, like, in character because they're having to do that as, like, a cover almost. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a lot of scenes of Fee in this episode kind of having to talk about, like, her past and like her sister in a way that is genuine, but like she's also using that. And I like that a lot. Yeah. The best lies have a kernel of truth in them. And we get to see that a lot in this episode. Um, So the reason that Gabriel has been called outside is because Sam wearing a hat that says shady glade homeowners association is complaining about their property and the fact that their grass is too long, that there's crab grass. That's like, you know, very contagious. And like, he's, he's basically, he's a homeowners association blowhard with a very big list of things that they've fucked up. Um, I to love kind this. of distract all of the people outside. It's very fun. It's, I have legit best. forgot it, that this happened. Cause it's, <laughs> it's only been like two days since I watched this episode, but it feels like a million years since I watched it. <laughs> a lot has happened this weekend. Um, but it's very fun. It's, it's one of my, I I always love the Sam aliases that aren't just like loud assholes, but are like very niche assholes. I love niche asshole Sam acts. I think it's very fun. It is Because like he gets, like, I like when, I like how detailed his, his guys are. Like, I like to believe that that, that booklet that he's waving around of like, "Mm, yep, you have to have grass that's only two inches tall. Like, I like to believe that Sam has put a lot of thought into this and that if they flip to any page, it would be full of information. Oh like, yeah, 100%. The same way that he made the Finley method yes. a few episodes ago to for like workplace mediation. I like to believe that Sam just has, like in his retirement when he's not doing a job with Michael or Fee, just like builds backstories, like the way that you would just build D&D characters, not yeah, to no. play necessarily, but just to have them ready. And then, hey. I think he likes we, to do that with a- Madeline. Wow, oh, like, that is nice. Oh, that's cute. And like he, he keeps them all at her house. So they're always having to go to her house. Oh, I see. I see what you're doing. But also it's fun to imagine. 
it is fun to imagine. Every everything about Sam and Madeline's relationship is fun to imagine. They are the most fun. So as this is happening, Fiona breaks into that locked room, finding information about Gabriel and what he's up to, but not finding the kidnapped scientist quite yet. As she paws through the office, Sam realizes his diversion is out of gas, so he gets a signal to her to get out. Um, one of the things Fee finds in this room is a picture of a... Uh, Gabriel and his family, um, including a little daughter. And in the picture of the daughter, she's wearing a bracelet that she also finds in the drawer. So dead kid. So yeah, uh, that kid is so dead. <laughs> that kid is for sure dead. Yeah, so that is Fiona a for leaves. sure dead child. <laughs> Do we um, confirm that the so wife Fee, is dead? I don't, I don't think we do in the episode. I don't think the wife is ever brought up. No, she's not around. I think she might... Yeah, she's, she's just not around. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Um, so F- Gabriel comes back into the house and Fiona like kind of meets him there because she wasn't she, she wasn't able to get back to where she was um, having broken into the room. And she's just like, oh, sorry, I was in the ladies room. And Gabriel kind of looks at her and he's like, we're going for a drive. And Fiona's like, OK. So she turns around, quickly unbuttons her, her top two buttons to indicate something is wrong. Um, and heads out to the car. The boys see the signal and then see Gabriel speed off with Fiona in the front seat. Yeah, he just fucking goes. Yeah, he. It, it's like, it is a violent acceleration yeah. all of Can a I sudden. say, um, another reason that I like Gabriel is that I feel like on another episode of Burn Notice, like, Fee would have walked out and he would have seen that and been like, what's that up about? And she would have been like, ladies room. And the bad guy would have kind of looked at her funny and then just kept on going. But, like, this guy, no. Like, that's enough for him to be like, I'm going to I'm gonna kill this woman. <laughs> yeah, so he, so he drives off, um, and then the boys see the signal and drive off after her, but on, like, a different road so that they don't make her, because, like, they don't want to put her in more danger. In Gabriel's car, he remarks that he noticed that her blouse is more unbuttoned than it was previously, as he drives, like, crazy fast and continues to accelerate. And then he starts to tell her a story about how he used to be a doctor in Argentina until some American company built a computer chip factory whose toxic sludge made the whole community sick. Adults mostly recovered, but the children didn't. He is screaming this story while continuing to accelerate and then takes his gun out from before in uh, out of his pocket, to which Fiona murmurs, is that really necessary as he speeds up more and the guitar underneath gets so loud that I can barely hear what Fiona is saying? Uh, and then he turns it's very and intense. drives off-road slightly. It's extremely intense, but it's also... Very confusing because he's just no, like, see, telling I got her it. this story. No, like, okay, there's a couple of things that are confusing to me. So first of all, he's decided to kill this woman. Uh, why he's driving away to do it is confusing. Like, just kill her in the house. There are ways to kill her that are like not bloody, so it wouldn't get any get a mess anywhere if that's what you're worried about. And all of your bad guys are here, and they can just like you know throw her in a trunk and kill her. Like, why would why does she need to be killed off site? Second of Maybe all, because she's got guys. The story, the story is not related to anything that we know yet. Why are you telling us the story about your hometown? Because like he's gonna like, kill her, and he wants to tell someone. I don't because he's fucking. I I buy it. <laughs> like I fully believe that this human being does not make rational decisions. So like, it's just it's so when this human being like, makes irrational decisions i'm cool with it because i'm like yeah like why is he driving fast because he's irrational it's just it was such a and like the the story was so long and he's like so clearly like cut up by it but we don't have any information about why he's telling us this story he's just talking because like he god he wants to tell someone so bad and like 
he can tell her because he's about to kill her. I mean, if we're just going to write off every nonsense thing he does as that's the character, then that's fine. I just found it very strange and confusing. I'm just saying um, that, like, so he... when it happened, I didn't question it. It made sense to me because this guy is just kind of wild. He feels like he's got a real, like, Benicio Del Toro energy. That's fair. That I, I can see that. So I just kind of bought it. Because if Benicio Del Toro did that, I'd be like, yeah. He, he reveals that he has a dead daughter, which we already knew. And then he walks Fiona at gunpoint under a bridge by a river, saying if he can't trust her, he can't work with her. And at this point, Fiona must be so confused. Like, what are you talking about? What does any of this have to do with this? Why don't you, tr- like, I went to the bathroom and unbuttoned my shirt. Like, what's up, guy? Uh, and so F- Michael and Sam... Um, see Fiona get held at gunpoint, but they're across the river because they took a slightly different route so as not to be spotted. And Michael like pulls out his gun. He's like, I, I want to help. I have to save her. And Sam's like, you're not going to get the shot out at this range with just a pistol. Like, you got to trust Fee. Fee got herself into this. She knew what she was getting into. We have to trust her that she can take care of this, which is a very, I feel like we've had this very same scene, but reversed with like Michael off on his own and Fiona being like, we have to help. We have to be violent. And Sam having to be like, you got to let Mike take care of it. And I really liked it because once again, Michael is not the protagonist at this moment. Fiona is. And I do really enjoy that. I don't know. I didn't buy Gabriel as much as you did, but I do really like this episode. Like, I, it's very fun. It's got a lot of really tense moments. Yeah. And in spite of some of the weirdness of the language, like, I found it exciting. No, and, yeah. Like, thrilling, I, like, like, I didn't dislike the language. I just thought it was weird for Burn Notice. Yeah, definitely. Like, the, this this is just a, it's a weird episode. It's good, but it's very weird. Yeah. I'm also confused by the fact that Sam is like, Fee can handle it, even though she explicitly gave them the signal that things were not cool. But fine. I guess we'll just let Fee handle it. Like, what was the point of the the signal if they aren't going to help it was a reason for gabriel to be mad i'm and they I also, guess that's why like there. sam also points out that like because like michael has a gun has like a handgun and sam's like you can't shoot him <laughs> like they're way too far away then what was their plan if the plan was if she has two buttons unbuttoned they help her what the fuck are they doing i i do not know i think like they need if they had more time they could get closer but the point of the signal is that they don't have time they know they're not going to have time i'm just saying sam being like fiona's got to deal with it on her own it seems literally at odds with the thing that they set up in the previous scene i'm just saying so under the bridge fiona does successfully de-escalate the situation by revealing a vulnerable detail about her little sister's death to prove gabriel can trust her and there's some truly stellar acting from Gabrielle Anwar, despite this entire sequence being so confusing. Like, what is Gabriel reacting to specifically? Fee not sitting at the table? Why is he revealing stuff about his daughter? How is Fee telling him a detail about his her sister's death proof that she's Well, because, like, she suffered loss, too. But that's not a reason... She t- already talked about the loss. How but is like, this additional she detail like, but she made it like for the fact real that he's for him that she's wandering around the house again he like all of his paranoia and like none of this comes from a logical place it comes from a very emotional place so if she was emotionally truthful he will trust everything else yeah cuz like when fee if fee is just like some gun for hire who knows like how trustworthy she is cuz crime people are untrustworthy you know, and if she's in this for the money, then, like, he's always going to be looking over his shoulder because he's always looking over his shoulder 
anyway. But, like, if they have the same kind of motivation, if, like, she was started blowing shit up because, like, her sister died, then he understands that. So they have the same motivation. So we can trust her to act like he would act, you know? I feel like you just like the fact that it's a Fiona episode and are letting no, a lot of No, I mean, I, like, I made a note about Our dynamic has shifted so dramatically this season. It is wild. How it did we wild. get here? I do not know. I think at some point my standards lowered. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's part of it. Joke. But no, like, it made sense to me. It all tracked. Like, I felt like the storytelling was all there. Again, he gets in the car and he starts driving really fast, and that's not useful. No, it, yeah, it's the most dramatic way to deal it's with this It's so overdramatic because he's a melodramatic guy who feels things. It also is super illogical because, like, he's seen what Fiona can do just sitting in a chair. He drives her away from all of his private security into a secluded place where the only thing, like, standing between him and Fiona is a gun that she could easily take off of him. Again, he's not. Yeah, it's... Thinking, like... This is not a man who thinks. No, I'm I, I, I'm saying that that, that that like supports your theory. That, like, exactly. He's yeah. explicitly putting himself in a worse situation because he wants to be a drama queen. He does. Like, yeah, he wants to drive and like he wants to go real fast and tell his story because he's going to kill her. But so like he wants her to know because he can tell the story because he can't tell the story to anyone because he doesn't trust anyone. But since he's going to kill her and like all of this stuff, to be fair, again, I don't think he is like making logical arguments. But, like, if he's, if he's figured out the, like, blouse signal, it might have occurred to him that she's not alone. And, but he doesn't know how many guys that she has. Well, but I don't even know if he necessarily figured that out. I also don't know if he necessarily figured out that she, like, I the mean, problem he kind is of he fig- doesn't tell I, us what he doesn't We're supposed trust. to read that he's kind of figured it out. But the thing is, the first thing that he reacts to is the fact that she's standing in, like, the foyer instead of sitting where he left her. So, yeah. like, he can probably infer that she's been into the room. So he's just willing to overlook that because she said a vulnerable thing about her sister's death. Yeah, because they're the same. All right, whatever. So we cut to a nice restaurant, which is much nicer than that fancy French place that Gilroy took Michael and Claude of to. Of course. Uh, it's in uh, it's in a hotel, which is important later. It's like a restaurant, like the bottom floor of a rest uh, of a hotel. Um, it's the hotel's restaurant. Uh, and Gabriel finally tells Fiona a little bit more about his backstory, and we finally learn like why he's in town. Uh, so he kidnapped that scientist because that scientist works for the company that poisoned his daughter, and he wants them to shut down the factory. So Fiona's job in this whole gambit, which is hysterical given the amount of like scrutiny she's been under her job is to pretend to be an escort that the company's head negotiator had hired get him alone and allow him to be kidnapped so she just needs to be a fake escort for a day that's all she needs to do it is not a complicated job you could hire an actual escort to get the guy alone you do not need a professional for this based on what i assume gabriel also has worked out but basically so the scientist has been kidnapped and uh, See, someone I feel from like you're saying company. this like it's bad storytelling. <laughs> when I think it's good storytelling. Maybe I'm I'm I I like am reacting to how bad his plan is, and I'm considering that bad writing versus you saying no, him being bad is the point. Yeah, because my read of this was like. This is just another confusing bird notice plot that doesn't seem motivated, but you seem to be taking the position of the fact that his all of his actions are unmotivated seem like they that's the point. 
Well, not unmotivated, but motivated from like a purely illogical and fully emotion-based place. Yeah, see, that doesn't make sense to me. That, but we, I mean, we, we well, can we, deconstruct we my inability to feel emotions later. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Go listen to Brie and Chris are depressed if you want to hear more about that. Um, but uh, the the plan is, in Gabriel's eyes is so now that the company has sent like their head negotiator to Miami where their scientist was kidnapped, he wants to then kidnap the negotiator because he's like, the negotiator is probably going to work a little harder when he's the captive. And Fiona's like, well, what happens to the scientists? Like, are you just going to have like two hostages? And he's like, no, we're going to have one. Like once we've got the other one, we will kill the scientists because like, I need to prove to them how serious I am. Like they need to shut down their factories. And the only way they're going to like, believe that that's exactly what I want is by me killing the first hostage and then saying, how many more do you want me to do this to? And so Fiona's like, well, fuck. <laughs> so I definitely have to stay in this because like the, the scientist is an innocent and also has a little girl and Gabriel is not swayed by this. So, um, Fee manages to get a pot of tea dumped on her by a passing waitress, steals a cell phone from a nearby purse, and got, gets some alone time as she cleans herself up uh, to call Michael. Um, so she tells Michael what she just learned because, you know, obviously things are happening very quickly and she doesn't know where the hostage is still, but he's basically on his like last three hours of life based on like where they're at in the plan as she now understands it. And so Michael's like, okay. Tell me all the things you have in your purse right now. Fiona's wearing a fanny pack this episode. I like it a lot. It's very utilitarian and it's I enjoy great. it. So Fiona lists all the things in her fanny pack and he's like, all right, cool. I'm going to put together a care package for you and get it to you the same way we used to do it in Dublin. And then they hang up. And I was like, ooh, what did they used to do in Dublin? I love it when they reference like old spy things that they used to do and they just like yeah. do them in the episode. Like that always just feels like a nice touch to me. I find that very fun because I don't need the backstory. I just need to know, oh, this is a thing they've done before. And then for them to just show me the thing they've done. And it's like, oh, that is clever. I like that a lot. Um, Sam tells Michael that he'll do the package drop since Michael has to go meet Gilroy. And Michael, clearly wanting to blow off his other work, agrees reluctantly. This is the point in the episode where I noticed that Michael Weston hasn't shaved in a while. And for the next two episodes, Michael Weston looks fucking hot. Every time they let Jeffrey Donovan have a little stubble, I am so excited because he is in his fucking prime and he's got a little stubble. So he's a little rough around the edges. And I think that's the best Michael Weston look. The best Michael Weston look is not the boring, clean shaven beige suit man. It is like a little rough, like sleeves rolled up, bags under his eyes, kind of manic looking Michael Weston. I'm going to take your word for it. Man looks good. He looks fucking good. Finally, Madeline appears. <laughs> like, most of the way through the episode, she's just here now. Um, Sam is making Fee's care package with Maddie's help, um, and she sacrifices some of her makeup for the job and makes suggestions. So basically what Sam is doing is he's going to lowjack some lipstick so that they can keep an eye on her. So this, as long as she has the lipstick on her, which is something that she had mentioned she already had on her, uh, so it would just, like, blend in no problem. Yeah. They're going to, like, lowjack some lipstick so that she can keep it on her and they'll know where she is and can, like, follow her to where the hostage is. And, like, Madeline, like, has a whole thing about this where she's like, no, you, you're going to want to do this. Like, a lot of this is kind of Madeline's idea. Like, a lot of the specifics are Madeline's idea. And it's so good. Yeah, so basically, Bruce Campbell has, like, this box of different, like, tracking devices, and then Madeline has got a box of different lipsticks, and they're trying to find, like, 
uh, a bug that will fit in the lipstick. And like the voiceover talks about how like, you know, different tracking things have different sizes and they do different things. So like, if you need something small, it needs to be like this, blah, blah, blah. And so Madeline's like, you should use this lipstick. It's really big and heavy. So you can hide whatever you want in it. No one's going to find it. And so like, basically she and Sam do the little build montage of the week. And it's very fun. And she just sits there and smokes profusely and like, is like, yeah, man, I'm game. I don't know what's going on, but like, hell yeah, let me help. It's, it's great. And it's just like, why did it take this long for Madeline to be introduced this episode? It's so confusing. Like, there's a lot of pacing things that I feel like probably just got cut down. Like, I get the same sense in like, um, this is a totally out of left field reference, but the, the all female Ghostbusters reboot, that movie feels like about 45 minutes was cut out of the plot. Like, it feels like that wasn't the movie they wrote. Because, like, there are, on a scene level, there are a lot of really fun things happening, but, like, there are a lot of things that do not connect. Like, there's this whole subplot with Kristen Wiig's, like, boyfriend, maybe? Who just sort of pops up randomly and then, like, leaves her or something. And it's like, where did this dude come from? He does not affect anything. Why is he even in the movie? And it feels like they cut out a huge, like, C-plot with him because it just, they didn't have time for it. And that's kind of what this episode feels like to me in some ways, where it's like, there was at least a couple other things happening in each scene that they just cut out for time. Because especially in the early part of the episode, like, the first third of the episode, every scene feels like it takes like half as much time as a normal burn notice scene would take. Like they feel unfinished. I don't know. I didn't have that problem. But like. Because midway through the episode, it gets better. Like the intercutting of like Fiona in the house and the boys outside supporting her, that all works really well. And I think in order to like give that the space that it needed, I feel like there were a couple of moments in earlier scenes that got cut out. I don't know. That was the sense that I I got. It did just feel like. I think it helped. (laughs) I think it gave it a nice pacey quality. I will say really quickly, after HBO Max was like, you're going to get it. We're going to release the Snyder Cut. Um, oh, God. Paul Feig was on Twitter being like, maybe we could see a director's cut of Ghostbusters. So you may not be wrong there. I don't think I am. Because, like, literally, there are things in that movie that are like, this feels like it came out of nowhere, but everyone is acting like it's a central part of the plot. Like people know characters who we've never seen them interact with before. So I yeah. think that there are full scenes, like full plot lines of that movie that were taken out. Um, so yeah, I that's my conspiracy theory of the day. I'll tell you about a different one off mic, but uh, not right. of mine, but just of a, a conspiracy theory that I was made aware of today. Anyways, the lipstick is lowjacked. Sam reprises his role as the Homeowners Association blowhard. And Which was great. The newly low. J- <laughs> yeah, it's a great it's 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 a great alias. We we love a absurdist Sam alias. And so he drops the newly lowjacked lipstick on the top of a tire for fee. So he puts um on the very top of a parked car tire, he puts the lipstick on top of the the um the passenger side door front tire. So I guess that must be where where Michael and Fiona used to drop things for each other cuz it's kind of like out of the way but it's easy to just sort of lean down and snag. So um, Sam makes the drop. Everything is fine. He gets chased off by the goons screaming about crabgrass. And it's great. It's very fun. I love it. Michael then meets with Gilroy, who shows Michael a bridge he's supposed to keep clear of witnesses and reveals that um, Gilroy is actually the one that's going to be keeping control of this big old gun that they got. And the guy that they're busting out of prison chose Michael personally, which is confusing since Michael and Gilroy met because Gilroy was hired to kill Diego 
by someone, a totally separate plot, and that Gilroy has been testing Michael for this job for like three episodes at this point. So how is the guy that they're breaking out of prison? The this doesn't make sense. One I, who chose. I think we can also, talk about who, this more next week. But like, sure. Yeah, this who, does not who, make who sense. Who wanted Diego dead? I don't Because, like, the whole reason that we started working with Gilroy is that Michael was like, I need to know who hired him. And then even when he's like, all right, Gilroy's working on this, like, (laughs) this prison break thing. He's like, somebody hired him to do this. Are we to assume that it's the guy that they're breaking out of prison? Because that's what we're meant to assume next episode. But it does not seem to be true (laughs) leading up to this point. I feel like they've lost the thread a little bit. No, they 100% lost the thread. Again, we'll talk next week about this season as a whole. Yeah. But like, yeah, and I think we'll get into more detail about that. But yes, it does not make sense. It does not make sense at all. Um, But basically, Michael is preventing civilian casualties. Gilroy would kill with the big gun if they got over the bridge. So Michael has no choice. Once again, it feels like a job fully beneath Michael Weston's skill set. But Michael even tells Sam in the next scene that he's like, there has to be more to it because it's definitely beneath my skill set. So I'm not sure why I am doing this job if it's as simple as being a PA. I know. Um, it, but like, I'm glad he acknowledges anything, though, it, but at the like, same time, like, Again, yeah. at least this time there's a reason, because apparently Michael was chosen. Apparently. We'll get to that next week. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts about that. But speaking of the next scene, Fee picks up her Logic lipstick, and Sam and Michael follow her back to the hotel that she and Gabriel had lunch at earlier in the episode, because apparently Gabriel was using that lunch to case the joint. And they act like this is some, like, brilliant plan. And it's like, he just went to the same restaurant, guys. It's fine. Yeah. Fiona's wearing her escort outfit. Um, and Michael... Uh, so she's just, like, sitting at a table. And, like, Sam drops Michael off. And he's like, what are you going to do? And Michael's like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Uh, but basically, they're just trying to prevent the escort and the hostage negotiator meet. Because if the hostage negotiator runs, they won't be able to grab him and they'll have a little bit more time to rescue the current hostage. (laughs) Um, So Michael runs screaming into the restaurant. He like picks up a clipboard from somewhere and is like, I guess I'm the health inspector. And he has a a spy tip about like. (laughs) Is that both Michael and Sam get to be annoyed officials. (laughs) Both of them. And my favorite shot in the episode happens here where we basically get kind of like a, a wide shot of Michael like walking into the hotel and deciding this is his thing and starts like yelling at like uh, a guy who's clearly in charge. Um, as And as he walks, the camera pans and we pan past Fee who's sitting at her table like waiting to, you know, escort it up. And like, she doesn't make any expression, but we watch Michael screaming loudly behind her and disappear into the kitchen, kind of to like both establish who he is and let Fee know like, I'm here, babe, I got you. And I just think like, it's so subtle. They don't look at each other, but we get to see them. We see Michael cross into her frame and it's just sort of a lovely like, yeah. You're not alone. I got you. And it just like it that was the the one directing moment that I was like, I really like that. That was very effective. Like I can't even imagine how relieved Fiona must be because like this day has been fucking wild for her. She had to do a lot of really vulnerable soul searching with a psychopath. <laughs> She's been alone the whole day. She hasn't really been able to directly communicate with them outside of like a handful of moments. And Michael is coming through. So like yeah. it's it's just it's nice. Couple goals, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
So then uh, inside the um, kitchen, Michael is like yelling about how many complaints he's been getting about this kitchen, uh, screaming his way uh, and just yelling at everyone. And he gets like them all out of the kitchen to like go look for something that they need to present to him. And once everyone's backs are turned, basically he like starts a grease fire and runs out. Uh, the grease fire causes the fire alarm to go off. That spooks the kidnapping victim or the potential kidnapping victim. So Gabriel is going to have to nab him another time. I do love um, Michael on the way Gab- out. It's just like, by the way, you guys have a grease fire in there. <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> He's such a little shit. He's such a little shit. I love it. This is, again, I love Michael the most when he is his most Bugs Bunny. It's true. And when he's playing second fiddle to Fee is when he gets to do that the most. Yeah. Because, like, he is not burdened with, like, the plot stuff. And it's yes. like, it feels like he has a lot more fun. It does. Uh, it's almost like Fiona should be the protagonist. I'm just yeah, saying. maybe. Yeah. Or at least co-protagonists. Yeah. Because I don't hate Michael Weston. No. I just really love Again, Fee. as you've explained, you put a little stubble on him. You're into it. He's so hot in these two episodes. And I think it happens like midway through this episode. I think probably as a choice to be like, Michael gets progressively more stressed out as like Fiona gets deeper and deeper into this job. And it fucking works for me. I'm just saying. So Gabriel and Fiona drive off with Gabriel convinced that they've been made. There's no coincidences in this. There's no... Like, this is obviously a setup, so they got to go get their hostage. But, you know, he trusts Fiona now, so he can just tell her this. Um, There's no guard for his hostage, the scientist, because he's put him in this, like, massive abandoned warehouse. And uh, he has rigged the cage that the hostage is in to explode if, like, an uninitiated person futzes with it. Yeah. And he's also, like, sedated him. So, like, the in the middle of this massive warehouse of all of this just debris, there is a cage that's been rigged to explode. And inside the cage is the scientist on a wheelchair with an IV drip of sedative. And he's like, all I have to do to kill this guy, because, like, we have to kill him. we got to cut our losses, show them we're serious, and then regroup, um, is just, like, give him slightly more sedative. So, you know, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, I've got this all taken care of. It, I think um, at the moment... When Gabriel has, like, a dark, dank lair, I think he fully completes his transformation into the Phantom of the Opera. (laughs) And I'm for it. I think that's why I like Gabriel, is that he's just, like, the... He's kind of the Phantom of the Opera. Like, not in... I have not seen Phantom of the Opera recently enough to be able to... Not, like, in the most plot way, but just, like, in his, like, fucking weird... He's just a vibe. He's the just a vibe, vibe. But it's so over the top, and like Fiona's like a crime version of Christine Dye. Just like, <gasps> oh my god, and like, <sighs> it's it's a lot, and I really enjoy it. Fiona basically uses his paranoia against him and pulls one of those "look over there" things, and she's like, "Somebody's in the grass," and Gabriel's like, "You're absolutely right. There's definitely someone in the grass. Stay here." So Gabriel fucks off for a little bit. Fiona goes into the cage and like takes the IV drip off of the off of the little thing so it no longer has the momentum and can't kill him uh, and just quietly wheels the hostage away. Like the fact that it's so easy <laughs> to get away from Gabriel, I guess is like the perfect wrap up for like this crazy paranoid drama queen's plot line where it's just like it's so easy to get away from him. It's as easy as look over there. Yeah, because he's so and paranoid, but also, like, he's decided I, to trust her because, again, none of this is, like, rationally motivated. Motivated, Like, 
either so like confusing. you're with him or against him. And like and he has decided that she's with him. Yeah, exactly. Because like she also has a dead family member. And like that's it. That's all it takes. So Gabriel's wandering around. Michael and Sam pull up, but not before Gabriel comes back inside to see that his hostage cage is empty. Fiona jumps him uh, in a pretty clever way and backs him into the cage with his gun. Um, and then, uh, and she's like, the police are on their way. Chill out. We, there, there's gotta be another way to get, like, I agree with you that this factory sounds terrible. There has to be another way to deal with it. Like, you cannot kill an innocent. He also has a daughter. Um, and Gabriel's like, well, if I, if I get arrested now, this whole thing will be for nothing. And so then he lets, sets off his own fail safe to, like, light himself on fire. And, I have this whole thing in my notes that at this point seems redundant, which is like, if your actual goal is to get this company destroyed, you going to jail is not actually that big of a deal. Like, there's a lot of advocacy that you can still do from inside, especially if you want to just like go all in on being evil. Going to jail is fine if literally all you want to do is get this company destroyed. Like, there is a lot of stuff you can still do. But he's like, nope, I'm going to burn myself to death. Yeah, because that's who he is. The trauma, the emotion. Yeah, it's so dramatic. And Fiona's like, stop it. Do not be dramatic. Where is the key? And he's like, no, just let me die. It's all for nothing. And so then Fiona's like, fine. And so she she breaks into, she like picks the lock very quickly. And um, Michael runs in, like Michael and Sam kind of like see the explosion happen. They grab the hostage who's luckily safely out of the way. So Sam wheels the hostage out of the way. Michael goes in for fee, helps her drag idiot Gabriel out. And they all run out of the building as it explodes spectacularly behind them. Then we learn in the next scene that the cops pick up Gabriel at the warehouse afterwards. And also apparently before the scientist gets like officially rescued, Fiona, uh, muscles him up and convinces him to be uh, a whistleblower for the bad corporation. So Fiona does end up like helping Gabriel take down this bad corporation, but not through quite as violent of means. So a a nice little wrap up to that situation. Exactly. Because Um, Fee is like, cares about her emotions, but it's not like so wrapped up in revenge as he is that she can do the smart thing when he cannot. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the Michael and Sam are having this conversation at what must be Fiona's place. She's definitely lived somewhere new because now there's like stairs in the middle of the like house slash apartment. I don't know. They're definitely in a new place, but I, I'm assuming it's in Fiona's place because Madeline wanders over um, and has brought over chicken soup for Fiona, who I guess is sick. I mean, it could have, yeah. It could have been the fire. I don't know. Like smoke inhalation. I feel like they were all in the smoke as bad as she was. I don't know. Once again, Fiona and Michael do the exact same thing. And then Fiona is so hurt that she's out of commission for the rest of the episode. God. I mean, that's like, the second time this season that. It, yeah, but yeah. but like, but they literally say Fiona is resting in the back and Madeline is worried enough about her that she brings over chicken soup. God. I will say, I love Madeline in this scene. Madeline in this scene feels like a full-on gangster. She's just, like, one of the guys. She's just, yeah. like... <laughs> but, like, the thing is that, like, since all of them, again, are doing this more Tarantino-y kind of crime dialogue, she kind of walks in and is also talking that way. Where, like, 
She, yeah, she's like, very just, much matching their energy. They pour her a drink with them. Yeah. Like, she's one of the guys. In a way that, like, even when she's, like, good on this show, she isn't normally. I feel like in this scene mm-hmm. in particular, she's, like, just full on a crime guy. <laughs> yeah, she she assimilates fully. Michael heads to, or Michael and Sam head to the Gilroy job. Michael goes to the bridge and, like, lines it with explosives. So I guess the plan is just to blow the bridge. So Sam is over at the airport, where they assume uh, is where, like, the rescue is taking place. And then Michael is assuming that he's, like, layer two of defense. So Sam is at the airport. Michael is at the bridge. Sam calls Michael and is like, the cops are here. There's been some kind of, like, fire, and they're diverting all the planes. And Michael's like, fuck. That must mean that Gilroy doesn't have any intention of grabbing him at the airport, he his whole plan was to, like, know when the plane was getting there and get it to land somewhere, like, less, uh, you know, securityed. Yeah. Securityed. What am I looking yeah. for? What word am I looking for? Less secure? protected. Secure. Yes. Secure is the right word. That There it is. Yeah. Um, so we cut briefly to a scene where Gilroy is, like, greeting a prisoner who's got, yeah. like, a bag I over think, his like, head so we still Michael, don't see like, him. if I remember correctly... A plane literally flies over his head. <laughs> I don't remember. I didn't notice that. I but I also like... didn't see this bit of, like, I watched the first 40 minutes or, like, maybe 38 minutes of this episode. Then I had to do a four-hour work thing while protests were happening around me in my apartment. And then I watched the last five minutes of this episode at, like, two in the morning after I was oh done God. with my work event and after I'd had, like, a very emotionally distraught evening of watching protests happen near you, around me, near my other best friend's place. And it was just, like, a lot was happening. And so, like, the last five minutes of this episode, I'm a little shakier on. Yeah. No, if I remember correctly, a plane flies directly. Like, he's like, wait a minute, the plane's coming here. And then, as if on cue, <laughs> Sure. So, yeah. So so we, we see Gilroy, like, greet this prisoner that he's, um, he's, he's rescued, but we don't actually see the guy's face. Uh, and then we cut back to Michael, who sees the cops coming. So he blows, he stands right in the middle of the road, blows up the, like, the, the bridge, and then takes off running in all black, the most obviously suspicious person in the entire world. And then he runs to meet Gilroy, who is bleeding badly. Michael's like, what the fuck is happening? And Gilroy's like, the guy that we just rescued, his name is Simon, that's all I know, um, he turns out that he he had offered Gilroy 10 million dollars to like help him escape but the real plan a la the plan from earlier was to actually just kill Gilroy and keep the money and be escaped and also he strapped a bomb to Gilroy so Michael jumps out of the car just in time for Gilroy to explode into oblivion it's really great because he says like did I mention that I have a bomb strapped to me (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Gilroy is, like, to the very end, very British and casual about everything. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, basically, Gilroy was swindled. Simon, whoever he is, is out on the loose. Now Michael has extra no idea what's happening. Okay, again, we'll talk about Simon next week. And I have a lot of things to say about Simon, but so one of gear up, friends. What's weird about this is that they make a point of never showing Simon's face. Yeah, like it's going to be a reveal of someone we've seen before. And right. I was fully expecting that. I was too. I was like... Spoiler alert, it's not. It's, it's just not. a guy. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that next week. But like, 
again, it just felt like, I don't know if just that they only had him for an episode. So it was like, well, like, we don't have the actor this week, so it, we cannot show a face. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It's wild. Let's talk about some spy tips. This has been like a two-hour episode for a yeah. lot of reasons, but um, yeah. cool. So spy tips. Number one, fighting two against one is never ideal, but there are ways to even the odds. Jam your opponents into a corner and they won't have the room to use both arms. It's like fighting one person with two angry heads, which makes them easier to engage and easier to disengage. That makes sense and it's actionable, and I like the analogy. Yeah, me too. An angry person with uh, one person with two angry heads. All right, number two. Between matching holograms and color shifting inks, altering a page in a modern passport is virtually impossible. So if all the pages are full and you have to adjust someone's travel in a hurry, it's better to just swap out the page entirely. It's as easy as pulling out the stitching on a cheap t shirt. You just need the skill to put it back together. Again, also very actionable. Very actionable. Uh, number three, anyone with a little trait craft knows spilling a drink on yourself is a common excuse to leave a table. To, get to convince a pro it's truly an accident, you have to sell it with a bit more than iced tea. So this is obviously a combo with what happens on screen, which is that she gets someone else to spill on her. And it's also not iced tea. Like, oh, no, I cool. It's like hot tea. So it's like both painful. Is that like what it was? Would, you know. I, I don't know. Yeah, Maybe because it was, was just like watching it while the spy tip was being said. But like, I assumed that the obvious thing was making the waitress spill on you. And I feel like there's lots of things in which we see like people cause wait staff to spill things on them. And that like, that's such a common thing that like, to me, that's in the same category as knocking something over and spilling it on yourself. And so no, I was the thing waiting. Was, so it, it was a it was a teapot and a cup of tea, and that's obviously hot tea. Yeah. And also, Michael's literal voiceover says you have to do more than sell it with some iced tea. And I know I, the implication but like, being so like, but the idea being like you have to sell it with more than iced tea. So like you have to use hot tea. It's such like a minor distinct like. It seemed like it's it would have to be something. It's not minor if you get com- hot tea spilled on you. Yeah, but the thing is, if you get hot tea spilled on you, the most important thing isn't that you go change. The most important thing is that like you've gotten injured now, and like then you have to like react to like. It just it seems like such a weird thing as opposed to like it seems like if you're gonna set up a tip of like having like spilling something on yourself is like way too obvious, then like the actual thing you should do shouldn't involve spilling at all. You know? Well, but it, when you're in a pinch, it's like an easy sort of thing. I think it's it's a twofer. It's get someone else unrelated to you to spill on you and spill something on yourself that like would hurt so that it is more unlikely that you would choose to do it to yourself. I guess. Like it's not only an accident someone else causes, but it's an accident that is more unpleasant than just a spill has occurred. It's like a spill and pain has occurred. I, I guess. That's, that's what I took away from I, that. Maybe. But it doesn't feel a little bit like you have to do more than have someone spill spaghetti on you and then you go, ah, linguine. <laughs> I think a that different case, noodle. makes sense. I mean, they, they, like, especially again, with it's like obviously hot tea. Like, I don't I I was watching that scene pretty closely and I I buy it. If you buy it, I'll let it stay. But like, I ca- I was I felt weird about it at the time. That's fine. You feel weird about a lot of things. Number four, planting a surveillance device inside an existing item is all about working with what you have. If, a, if the battery necessary to power a bug is too big, you can't use it. A tracker with a ping system, on the other hand, can send your location in bursts and doesn't suck a lot of power, making a terrific accessory for any lady on the go. This is the, the lipstick Lojack scene. Yeah. Number five, 
Restaurant kitchens have grease fires all the time. A little oil on a burner and you can clear out a restaurant without raising too much suspicion or causing too much damage. So what is the thing that you can argue about for this one? Well, it's specific. He's, he's saying this is exactly how to start a grease fire. He's he's I mean, I, giving I think... you cover that a lot of hosts that, that probably kitchens that see a lot of business have grease fires a lot just because like there's a lot happening. And, um, and I feel like also he's also acknowledging like fires. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't if you would just like ask me before seeing this episode, I would have been like, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I wouldn't really, I, I don't think about lighting fires very often, so it's just not, like, a thing. Yeah, but, like, I have you, a lot of... maybe it's, like, I cook more than you do, but, like... Maybe. Like, I'm aware of what never... causes grease fires, because I don't want to start a grease fire. Yeah, I've never, ever had that fear, because I that's never really been a concern of mine. And also, I like that he acknowledges, like, if you just need to clear a building in this circumstance it will not only do it seem like just like a commonplace occurrence but it also won't do that much damage so if you're concerned with like the collateral damage of a that decision is the to only get a thing bunch about of people out of a room that i could like see as like being useful useful because like i guess if there's grease fires in in restaurant kitchens they have more plans they probably for that. have exactly as and opposed they probably to like have a, a house kitchen where in grease fires oftentimes burn houses down. Exactly. Um, but I also bet that, like, grease fires burn down restaurants. But yeah. Um, I'm sure they do. But they probably have a little bit more industrial support you know what? for accidents. I, I do like the scene, and I like this episode. So, sure. Even if you only 50-50 like this one and the one that we just deleted, that combined makes a full tip. So I would argue that that's enough My thing is that I was 50-50 about another one, though, too. Yeah, but I, I can fight you on that one for longer, and I don't think either of us want to do that. <laughs> so I feel like that's the one fair. more passionate no, wins that one. I'm disposed to like, I, yeah, why not? It can stay. It can stay, but it's on thin ice, which is the thing we've said a lot this season. All right, yeah. cool. So let's quickly rate this episode. So as we've just established, there are at least five practical spy tips. So uh, good job there. Did they solve the weekly problem using spycraft over violence? Yeah. I think so. No, I think there was a, a lot, lot of, of violence from our... Mm-hmm. I do too. I liked the, the lipstick lojack. I liked that Madeline was involved in it. I liked how it got to Fiona. I liked how they're all having to like play on the go because like they're both in really bad situations that they don't know how like enough information about to like get a grip on it. So they're all both, just having to be very defensive. Both Sam and Michael had to do aliases. <laughs> and just like really brief on the fly ones, which honestly yeah. are my favorite aliases. Like, like I know we love the aliases on this show and we do, but sometimes like the less thought out aliases, the just quick ones that have to be really distinct and specific for that moment are the most fun. So yeah, no, I definitely. Um... So speaking of the aliases, though, was there a debuted distinct alias uh, or revisited debuted or revisited? I mean, it's tough alias um, because Sam was still Chuck Fit Chuck Finley. Was he Chuck Finley? Did he actually? He said his Chuck Finley. Of course he did. Hell yeah! I, um, I must have missed that, but I like because I was trying to read his hat. <laughs> <laughs> to, yeah, no, so I wasn't Chuck really paying Finley. attention so to the beginning. he was Chuck Finley. And like, and it was fun. I don't know if it was enough. A, Ch- a Chuck Finley sighting is always means that like the sidekicks are used well. But uh, in terms of the alias tenant, it can't. Yeah, it can't it, that's my thing compare. though. Is it like, 
it's got to be like the protagonist, which w- which yeah. normally I would say it's got to be Michael. But Michael is not the protagonist of this episode. And yeah, at least not the sole protagonist. Exactly. Cuz he's got his own Gilroy plot, but, but like sometimes um, like he has a plot. Or like Sam has a plot. That's true. I yeah, I, I hear that. But I, I don't think Fee has an alias either. Like I don't think no, either of our protagonists this week have a have a distinct yeah. alias. Like even the health inspector is just like an on the fly thing yeah. that I don't think counts. fully I don't counts so the not, way that we intend it to count. Yeah. So no alias. Now, Sam I think is used very well. I do think so. I and we I think both agree that Fee is used. This really my well. question is in this week, do we ask if Fee is being used well? Or do we ask, is Michael being used well? <laughs> I think so, because he looks so hot with his little stubble. <laughs> and he does get to do his little thing. And he goes and, yeah, they all get moments to shine. They all get stuff to do. It's yeah, great. this was this was a fun episode for our welcome characters. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a <laughs> In great... In some ways. It's a great episode of Burn Notice. Is this a great episode of television? I don't think so. I kind of think it is. Again, we've just switched. I have argued for two episodes that, like, you disagree with. I So your interpretation of the bad guy definitely gives me more pause for this one. Like, because I really did enjoy watching this episode. It was very fun to, like, watch. I, my interpretation of the bad guy was, in my mind, a reflection on the episode. But your interpretation of the bad guy is in the opposite way. And I like the way that you've, I feel like you may have convinced me. The yeah, way no. that you, because my main issue with this episode is that like everything about the main bad guy, Gabriel was too, like super inconsistent. Your point that like, that was the point. I feel like you I also, argued it I well. disagree that he was inconsistent. I think he was incredibly consistent. I just think that like he was consistent in his decision-making being driven by emotional things and not logical things. like, And I have a harder time tracking that. Because my thing is, like, we've seen Burn Notice episodes before where, like, the plot is super convoluted. Like, the bad guy plot is super convoluted and people yeah. are making speeches. And you're like, what the fuck is this speech for? And so I maybe was letting previous episodes nonsense color my expectations. And I... I am willing to give you that this was a great episode of television because I really enjoyed watching it. it no, was, yeah, I and I too. think that if I wasn't taking notes, I would have liked it more because I would have been less critical about just like, because I have to literally write down everything this guy says to be able to explain it to an audience. And as I'm doing that, as I'm transcribing this guy's like rantings, it gets a lot harder to be like, wait, what's happening? Why is he saying this? Um, but that's the thing. Is it like, Normally, when you have a bad guy like that, like that has a convoluted plan, they're usually set up as someone who has a good plan, right? And who's just an idiot about it. Yeah, or like that. It's good that this plan is convoluted, or like we're supposed to think the plan makes sense, and like his the decision making makes but, and, sense. And your argument that is that this guy's plan at no point makes sense. He's just like a violent drama queen, just yeah. driven by emotion. Yes. All right. You know what? I'll give it to you. It, like, if Chris Cherry is going to argue that a, an episode of Burn Notice is a great episode of television, and I don't have any strong disagreements, I'm going to fucking let it happen. Oh, right. yeah. 
Let's do it. All right, hang on. I want to check if Rashad Rosani has ever had a great episode of television before, because I think it might be his first. I think so, too. It is. It is his first. And I will also reveal to you that the last uh, Rashad episode of this season was the one where Michael hits Fee. So, yeah. redemption arc. Yeah. I also just like Fee's arc in this. I think, like, Gabrielle Anwar plays this all very well. It's not just great because she gets to be the protagonist and do all the plot stuff. But like, I think it's a more effective look into what drives Fee. And the thing is that like, they get to do some parallel parallelism between her and the bad guy in a way that kind of makes more sense than when they try to do parallelism between Michael and the bad guy. Cause they try to do that all the time. But Michael is such a nothing person that it always feels right. a little forced, but like Fee is a specific person. And So, like, if this person is motivated by, like, his dead kid and, like, we know that Fee cares about kids and, like, you know. Right. She definitely has a righteous vengeance stretch, like, to her. So that parallelism kind of works for me. Yeah, I mean, listen, you've convinced me. I've updated the spreadsheet. This is a great episode of television and a great episode of Burn Notice. Yeah. All right. And with that, there's nothing left to say but to thank Vincent E.L. for our amazing theme music. You can find more about Vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, bye. Fuck the police.